Hi, and welcome to our podcast, There's No Business Like No Business. We'll have conversations with all types of people in the live events industry to see what's been going on, or not, over the last year, and what hopefully we'll be looking forward to soon. We'll expand this a bit to see how the COVID downturn has affected our friends in the worlds of performing arts, travel, and hospitality. As a matter of fact, we'll talk to just about anyone. Here to guide us along the way are your hosts, Dave Eveson and Andrew Douglas. Gosh, I love that intro. It's it, the guitar part. It just makes me feel like we've got a show on. Andrew, welcome once again. You know, I'm with you, Dave. That Hawaii Five O feel is uh, really gets the gets the day going, doesn't it? A couple things before we invite our guest on uh, is one of the things we've been doing. You've got one. I've got one. Every, and then we ask our guests. So there's three shout outs every episode. And what we are doing there is everywhere we've been in North America, and I'm trying to contain it to North America because, because if I say, oh, don't forget to go to uh, Ipo Garden East, a haka stall in Ipo, Malaysia, that's really not going to do many people any good. So we're trying to build a little repertoire of places that when we all get back to work, people can go back and uh, enjoy some of our experiences and some of the experiences that, that, uh, that our guests have had and avoid maybe some of the crappier places uh, by going directly to our choices. What say you? I hate when people say that. Well, what say, say it's, you? It's, what say you, sir? I think it's a great idea, and I think that, that because this podcast is is loosely based on having you know lobby bar and restaurant conversations i think the our... whole podcast is just loosely based right right period good call good call i i, I shall I not extrapolate on that oh yeah please do i i, I was just ignorantly interrupting that's quite all right you do it well oh, thank you i think i think Today, we have a very special guest on the show, our podcast, uh, for our listener to enjoy, uh, Cynthia Ukas-Bradley, CEO of Sinful Productions, partner and director of Go for Site Management, and one of the founding members of Entertainment Industry Response. Sin is a technical director, production manager, line producer, logistics specialist, and a renowned problem solver in the world of production. Sin... Welcome. Thank you so much. Welcome, for Sin. Me. I got to tell you, see you guys. I just want all of that behind my name, instead of no, all no, I you don't, no, you don't, <laughs> no, you don't. It makes for a lot of sleepless nights, especially during tax season. I usually get, "Hey, what's for dinner?" <laughs> it's a really big business card, too. You <laughs> too. Yeah, do you have to have it like at a certain angle to cover all of that, the, the card itself? Does anybody use um, business cards, actually? Anywhere? I was going to say, I, I just kind of shoot people V cards from my phone. Here's how you get a hold of me. Here's my name. You don't need to know anything else. <laughs> if you need me, it's that number. Don't worry about the whatever it is. Titles are cheap. Titles Show are me cheap. the money. Yep. <laughs> that, that actually 
brings up something else with titles are cheap is the fact that you can just go on pretty well any website now and get a certificate for anything and they just send it to you and you're now certified at something. And I think that you and Andrew and myself, we're all, we all have certificates in this kind of COVID safety I, I believe we all do. I, I know I do, but I just went online and I listened to an hour long seminar and answered a couple of questions at the end and became a certified COVID specialist. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I now wear two masks at a time. That's awesome. Are they <laughs> KN95s or surgical? No, they're actually, I've got one that's got anchors on it because I drive boats a lot in the summer and another one that had uh, some lightning bolts because it's kind of what I do for a living. So I put those together and it's four layers of cotton, probably not even close to what should be regulation. But if I was going to hospital, I certainly would be after the K95. Well, at this point, every, um, every and any mask helps. Yes. I, I don't care what it is. Every and any mask helps because it's all about keeping, you know, your respiratory droplets to yourself and um, keeping them off of not just other people, but also high frequency touch surfaces and uh, things of that nature. So I applaud anyone who wears their mask and understands that it is not encroaching on their freedom. It's helping us all together get through this, get healthier. Um, we've done great with the flu season because of it. Yes. Because, you know, people are not wiping their nose on the back of their hand and then shaking somebody else's hand. We've become much more aware as a society about how gross we really are. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think we are all quite gross in, in our own way. <laughs> I do try to bathe, though, quite often. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's a step in the right direction. Um, no, I think we all become a lot more aware of what we do on a daily basis, what we touch on a daily basis, and what we're exposed to on a daily basis in, in our own houses, um, as well as out when we're working or just out in public. Yeah. And the phrase that comes to mind that I've been using all along when people are asking me, why are we disinfecting people's laptop bags? Why are we disinfecting people's backpacks? Mm -hmm. And my favorite visual is because we're in the entertainment industry, we all travel a lot. We have all walked into that proverbial airport bathroom and on the other side of a half stall door have seen that backpack, laptop bag or purse, whatever standing on, on, on the, the floor. floor yeah and that's just gross now do you see my shoes in the stall at the same time <laughs> you know, no usually your carry-on bag that you force into the overhead the bin is blocking the feet that's right yeah it is. it's it funny you should bring you should bring that up though I, I was remarking the other day that i could always you know set my calendar by the fact that I would have one really bad cold a year. And that was, you know, traveling 125,000 miles that year. I knew that I had a strong immune system because if I can do that and only have one cold a year, 
no problem. Uh, knock on wood, we're now, you know, 13, 12, 13 months into the, into the pandemic, and I haven't even had a sniffle. And I can only imagine that, yes, that's, that's, that's everything combined, but I can only imagine the masks have really helped with that. Um, I mean, I still have to be careful. I'm surrounded by yellow pine up here, so there's a lot of pollen at certain times. And so I still have to be careful with, you know, the proverbial allergy attacks that turn into sinus infections. But I've even been able to negate those. Now, mind you, I've been locked up here on this mountain since beginning of June of last year um, because, you know, COVID wasn't the only thing that hit. 2020 was a doozy. But um, I, I think we're all just a bit more conscientious about how we're navigating our common spaces. For our listener, Sin, they, we don't know where you live. So I know you're in the mountains. Can you just give us a brief little rundown on where you are? are you're obviously up, you're in a mountain, you're not in Miami. So just no, for the people who um, are listening, where you're located, and then uh, maybe from there, Andrew can just kind of plow through his list of question. So I'm in Northern California. Um, I am on a property that backs right up to the Tahoe National Forest. And um, I've been up here since last June. We have 10 acres up here. And this property was purchased because uh, my dad was living out in East Texas in a zone that was not friendly to get to. And he's now 83 years old and I needed him to be somewhere within driving distance so that if anything happened, I could get to him. So he's up there with you now. Up, you know, yeah, and last yeah. June um, he wound up having a mild stroke. Thank God it was mild, and he's recuperated very well. But at eighty-three, there's just some things you now need to help with. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. That uh, it's it's funny because that does bring me to actually my first real question for you today, which was. How has living and working from home affected the the dynamic in the household? Our dynamic has completely changed because my husband's down in Southern California. Uh, He has an arrangement to where he can work remote from up here one week out of the month. So we see each other for one week out of the month which isn't really any more or less than it was before the <laughs> pandemic when we were all traveling. That's when you were out three weeks a month. <laughs> oh, you mean seven weeks? Seven eight weeks. weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so that's been one thing that is changed and, and different and we're, we're adjusting to. Tyler, my son, is working out of Southern California, but I've been sending him to San Francisco a lot, the city that he really loves. And um, yeah, you know, just trying to take care of dad, take care of life outside of work. But work has pretty much been all-encompassing because I decided to take the plunge into that whole COVID scenario and see what we could make out of it. So a a lot has changed. I'm living up here with my dad and um, I go through a lot less fuel because I don't drive anywhere. I've become extremely reclusive. I find going to the grocery store every two weeks and being amongst people stressful. Right. Yeah. I, I I don't want to do it. I go very 
linear with a shopping list and I go through the grocery store from one end to the other, get everything that I need and then I leave. Mm-hmm. And by the time I get back up here, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Right. I'm ready for a nap. So how are the horses uh, taking you being at home so many days a month? Are they upset? They're not <laughs> upset. Um, they're just like, come on, we're in a pandemic and you still can't feed us on time. You're <laughs> 10 minutes late. <laughs> I swear to God, horses have a food clock. That's the only clock they go by. Right. Is it in their stall? How do they know? Is it, is it, this is a biological? It's, it's a biological thing. Right. right. Yeah. So time, time change is just like for dogs, for horses, it's pretty stressful because they don't understand why all of a sudden you're an hour late or an mm-hmm. hour early. Yeah. So I never thought of that. That's... Yeah. So we try to... Um, keep everything on standard time. So right now it's seven o'clock, 12 o'clock, 5.30. And then when we go to summertime, we just stick to the time, not as it would be at daylight savings, but we just stick to our regiment. Right. And if we move on to what you actually do for a living or used to do, I, I don't know even how busy you are. Uh, the, when I did, as I said earlier in our kind of pre-discussion, uh, told you that I went on to uh, the HPA, which for those who don't know, that's the Hollywood Professional Association uh, website. And I listened to a, about an hour long discussion with you about COVID safety protocol and, and that your organization, how they were lining themselves up to, this is back in June when things were really kind of, okay, what are we going to do now? And really your job was in kind of dead ended in March and then really kind of ramped up quickly to deal with how are we going to do shows? So uh, I don't know, if Andrew, if you wanted to kind of go through that with Sin and... Uh, I'll shut up because <laughs> I, I know from the last recording we made at the end, there was just a whole big bar of me and Andrew up here, a little blurb and the guest, a little blurb. So I'm going to go get another coffee. <laughs> I think you covered it well, you, you know, from, from a standpoint of, of our industry coming to a complete halt and, and me having early conversations with sin when it did go to you know did come to a halt uh we were actually getting ready to 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 work on quite a large project together which we had already started uh quite a lot of the pre-production on and you know sin correct me if i'm wrong your thought process was we can't let this fester we got to get people back to work immediately before you know even before they're out of work, how do we how do we transition quickly? I'm not going to use the word that everyone else is using. I refuse to use it more than once in a month. But now you so, got to say uh, what it is. No, what is that? Word? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Sin say it. <laughs> she doesn't know what the word. Well, maybe she does know what the word is. <laughs> um, well, let's let's you know back it up. It was March 5th at 12:25 p.m. Um, we were on various pre-production calls. I believe, Andrew, you and I were on the same call when the word had leaked that our project was now history. And 
I got off the phone and went to my staff list, created another column called Internet Savvy, rated everybody A through D, and that's the order that I called them in. I hate to say that Craig Schiller was last. Oh, poor uh, ABC. Well, no, Craig, he still okay. considers a carpenter's pencil and oh. a two by four his iPad. So, so the carrier pigeon. Exactly. Wait, okay. But um, I was defeated after that. And I was, it took me about until 7.30 at night to, to call everybody. And by the time I was done talking to everybody, I was exhausted. I was in tears. I just kind of crumbled onto the couch. And um, I watched everything for a few days and I started to drive people crazy with, hey, we can clean out this closet. And hey, let's clean up this. And hey, I need something to do over here. And then it was, you know, I saw what was going on with some of the structures that were being set up for uh, temporary hospital expansion packages, um, temporary morgues, reefer trucks that were being brought in, all this stuff. And then a, a pretty good sized storm hit New York. And some of the structures that they had set up were just set up incorrectly and they came down. And so I, I was sitting there watching this and I'm like, you people have benched an entire industry that really knows how to do this efficiently and safely. Why did you bench us? We can build structures with the best of them. And so that's kind of what got the ball rolling. That's what started this all. Um, it was about you know going out and helping and how can we get stagehands into those builds um, who have now been completely benched and, and left without any income. And I was really worried about the day players. Those were the ones that I was really worried about, all of my crews. Right. And so, when they then started with the, with the papers of, okay, you can reopen and you can reopen, it's like, okay, what do we have to do to reopen? So just to, just to qualify this a little bit, you're, you have extensive experience in building structures. I've been on events with you, uh, that, you know, there's seismic shock readings that have to be incorporated into uh, the, the building permits. And you've built in some of the toughest areas in the country, in the U S anyway, that, uh, that you've had to do a lot of dancing to get things done correctly. So your experience is huge in, in that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, you go to a place like New York City to set up structures. Well, you've got a subway, you've got underground data lines, power lines, all sorts of stuff. You're not staking in those streets. Right. <laughs> you have to come up with another solution. And so, you know, that's where I saw we could be of, of value. Mm -hmm. And then as things evolved with with the pandemic and you know with businesses needing to have reopening protocols and all of that stuff you know you you said that you took this course this one hour or two hour <laughs> webinar yeah. and then you got your certificate well i have 19 certificates i spent two hours on structural design though so i'm good okay there you go <laughs> um you know, when it comes to the entertainment industry, we're jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. 
We have to know about food service protocols. We have to know about engineering protocols and for, for buildings. And we have to know to ask the questions of how old is the HVAC system? And is it um, a fresh forced air or is it a recycled air? And what kind of filter is in it? Can you even put a filter in it? If it's 20 years old, you put a HEPA filter in it, you just lost your motor. It's, you know, what, what do I do to make a space and an environment and a group of people be able to come together, risk mitigated to the point where they can do their job? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I like the fact that you use the word risk mitigated because it's safe, it's not a word we can use anymore because the the COVID disease is so insidious. You can only put these protocols in place to mitigate the risk. You cannot call it safe. You know, here's here's a point and and you can you can glance over it if you wish. I it's I think it's a tough one and it's speculation, but why do you think the live events industry has been largely ignored by the lawmakers during the pandemic? Because we're damn good at our job. They don't know that we exist. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's because if that's we're doing our only... jobs well, nobody knows we're there. Correct. Don't pay attention to what's behind the curtain. They don't see us coming in to a venue at three o'clock in the morning to pre-rig and hang motors. When, when they walk in, everything is shiny and glitzy and it's ready to go and it's ready for everybody to have a good time. They have no clue what is involved to actually build what they're enjoying. Long story short, we're really damn good at our jobs. I like how you said that nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows our names uh, because we're so good. Yet for some reason, we know every politician's name. <laughs> no comment. That, that way, I know we said yeah. we weren't going to bring yeah. up politics yeah. and that isn't a bringing up a politics thing. It's just, it's just a rush. I just painted the entire. No, it's, it's all me... good. And it's, it's very true. <laughs> Don't make me bring out the beep. Yeah, the beep. <laughs> I've got a San Francisco, California shout out today, and it goes to Fang Chinese Restaurant at 660 Howard Street in downtown San Francisco. Fang offers a modern take on classic Chinese dishes and is a regular stop for me when I'm in the Bay Area. For more information and reservations, please visit fangsanfrancisco.com. So on a, on a constructive note, Sin, is there, uh, you know, I realize that many of us have gone out and gotten multiple certificates that we can and, and will use, and maybe we'll forget certain things that we've learned, but is there a skill or a best practice that you've learned and or adopted during this pandemic that you'll continue to use during the, the new normal? I've learned more about testing than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> How is the nose? And um, I think that we're still going to be doing it for a while. I think one of the one of the skills is that I've become very hypercritical and it has served me pretty well the last couple of months. 
I do a lot of my bedtime reading is no longer light because I'm got my face stuck in medical journals and trying to get to the bottom of what is fact and what is opinion. Right. Because I'm feeling there's a, a lot of opinion out there that is not backed up with, with a lot of facts. And I'm, I'm not even saying that it's malicious or, or that it's, it's the thought, it's having a thought process. You've got some people out there who think just because they went out and got vaccinated that they now are exempt from PPE or, you know, that they don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, you can still be a carrier. Right. So that, you know, that another thing right there where, you know, what is your response? I, I, there was an FDA approval, I think, today for the Johnson Johnson vaccination, the single dose. And Johnson Johnson's already said that they feel they can roll out 20 million doses before the end of March. How realistic do you think that is? Is that just blowing sunshine or, or do, you, do you think that's it, it, from what you've heard and what you've experienced so far, do you think that's realistic? Well, it's not just Johnson & Johnson. It's also AstraZeneca and they are working on a traditional shed cell vaccine. Words I never thought I'd say in my life <laughs> or career. Especially at a bar. Um, I'll yeah, have one exactly. of those, please. I'll make it a double. <laughs> And, and then, you know, there's, there's the mRNA um, inoculation, which is um, Pfizer Biotech and uh, Moderna. And I think Johnson & Johnson originally was looking at rolling out in April. And that's what they've steadily been saying and portraying now for a couple months. So mm -hmm. I, I feel that maybe because the extreme refrigeration and stuff is not necessary, that they should be able to keep on target with that. And we were back at it. One, two, three, go. Well, wasn't that interesting? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> That's great. Okay, well, that just wraps it up. <laughs> we were just going through a little technical difficulty, so we're back. We're back. I'm sorry, what was the question? So... Back in June, you were kind of looking to create a company that is going to jump into a lot of these events, whether whether it's special events, indoor, outdoor, uh, film, television, whatever, plus a, like a first aid assistant uh, assistance for building centers for testing and, and field hospitals helping with all of that. So you were covering a lot. Did you, were you getting a good response um, from anybody uh, with this? When it came to infrastructure and safety for testing sites and drive-through testing and, and those types, types of elements, we learned very quickly that um, different organizations and be it charity organizations and stuff like that, they, they were doing the testing, but they didn't have the funds to build the infrastructure. And most of your cities and or counties were turning a blind eye to how dangerous these sites really were. And I found out after um, talking to different departments within some of the cities that it was ju a jurisdictional thing because the minute one of those departments said, hey, this isn't safe, we've got to fix this, it involves liability. Right. 
So Every. we had done a, a lot of drawings. We, you know, we did testing sites with up to eight and 10 drive-through lanes with K-Rail between the medical staff and the vehicles. And um, it just never really took off because no entity within the local government wanted to take the responsibility for it. Yeah, the uh, the whole insurance issue. Correct. So pre, they just pre they now turn their head the other forward. way yeah. and let it happen. There is a, a, a question I have, and it did come from June discussion. It was a very great point that you brought up, and it's something that both Andrew and I do already, uh, but Andrew is the king of it, is the when we start looking at opening up, this pre-production element is going to be huge. And from a point of, if we go to a hotel, a field, uh, wherever we're doing these these events, to start looking more at pre-building our infrastructure, our lighting grids, our sets, the audio, visuals, the walls, everything that should be or that can be pre-produced should be, and obviously the changes the budget, but what it really does is reduces the amount of people that are now semi at risk in that venue during the setup. And whether lighting, rigging goes in first, set goes in the next day, uh, audio, you know, how, however, however it gets broken up. But like starting, let's say, if we were going to do a show in 60 days, what would you want to see out of that it's how much can i do and which shops are getting involved and what protocols do the shops already have in place under the back to work agreements um, that everybody needed to have to reopen and walking that fine line of how do i give the client what they want and what creative has pitched and still try to fit into their time frame and I'm I'm actually working on a show right now. I'm doing pre-production for something in September. And everybody just needs an understanding that it's going to take a little bit longer and you know there's it's going to add cost because we might need the venue for another day or two. So those are the things that I try to look out for right from the get-go in pre-production. And then it's also okay what protocols does the hotel or the convention center or whatever building it is, what do they already have in place? And how can we integrate our protocols with their protocols without doubling up and costing the client more money in the end because something gets billed to the master, something gets billed through production. It's, it's all those things. And the part about it is really, really hard is if you need additional hardware to do something that a client wants, you can explain it. You can visually present it to them. You can give them the whys of, you know, laws of physics and gravity. But when it comes to a virus, you're telling them that this is all going to cost more money for something that you can't see. I would also uh, gather that there are some clients who are going to accept that more than others? We have front runners right now. We actually have corporate clients out there that are going, okay, let's, let's do this. 
Let's scale it back, but let's do this. I'm sick of being prisoner to this. And we are moving forward. Is that a direct response, do you think, in uh, that the fatigue of the Zoom meetings? Think that's what getting people going first? Um, I think it's it's a combination of they need to get their information out there, be it to shareholders, be it to employees, be it to the general public, you know, CES, that's a big one. God knows how we're going to do that. But you've got people going, give me a break. I can have 400 people at a Walmart Supercenter and everybody's fine, but I can't have a crew of 200 in a controlled and risk mitigated environment and get through this. It's yeah, that's a great point. You know, and this is one of the things that that I've been really adamant about. It's as long as you are afraid of a situation or a thing, fear is paralyzing. Sometimes physically, sometimes mentally, sometimes both. But the minute you put your fear in check and you respect the situation that you are in or respect the thing or animal that you are confronted with, that's when you're able to navigate. And navigation is the key right here. And, you know, you, you go hiking and you walk up on a rattlesnake and you stop and you freeze. And the rattlesnake is warning you and it's going to strike. If you have your wits about you and you just quietly back up, that snake's going to be non-confrontational. It's going to leave you alone. I think that should be on your new business card. What, cuddly as a rattlesnake? No, no, just that whole thing right on the back of the cards. If you walk right. up on a rattlesnake. Yeah, but it's, it's true. It's, it is, it is. You know, mm. respect and navigate. The sooner that replaces fear, the better off we're all going to be. Yeah, it's great to get your perspective on this because you do, you run crews that are 200 people. A lot of our shows aren't 200 people, although every now and then we, we do live in that world, but... Uh, you know, smaller events that have maybe 20, 30, 40 guys and how to spread that, how to bring them in. It, it's critical to have somebody like you on site to, to kind of oversee this and just go, you can't bring these guys in now because those guys have to come in after these guys, not just because that gear sits up on top of the other set, but it's also a safety issue. It's yeah. how, how many trucks can we get in a dock? We see this all the time, like loading, load out elevators with 20 guys standing outside waiting for the door to open. It's like, how Moscone do we West? No, oh, I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood and Highland Grand Ballroom going once, going twice. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me bring back some memories. So here's the, the, the most interesting thing that we're running into with, uh, because obviously when we're doing um, COVID compliance on, on these uh, different sites and jobs, be it television or corporate, we're testing. But with testing, you're, you're going to get some positives not necessarily true positives. There are also false positives. Mm -hmm. And when people ask me, well, how do you get a false positive? And I'm like, well, you're using a test that was 
developed to test symptomatic people to confirm that they have this virus. And now you're taking that same test and you're putting it on absolutely healthy people. And it's not 100%. We as a society have chosen to use the testing the way we do. That's not what it was developed for. And so back to the job site, you are supposed to handle this information very discreetly. I love stagehands, all of them, but they're about as bad as nine-year-old girls at a slumber party. There is no such thing as discretion. Discretion. <laughs> right, right. Um, so we, we had an interesting incident there about 10 days ago. So that was pretty funny. It's like, you have to be very discreet. And I'm like, mm, these are stagehands. There's no such thing. I'm like, if all of a sudden one of your electricians is missing or one of your carpenters is missing and then somebody goes up to the steward's table, I'm like, all bets are off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that you have uh, what we now commonly call green shoots up where I am that seems to have something coming back a bit. I, I know I was talking to Andrew yesterday that there may be some stuff that that I've got that I'm looking for for some help with on that west coast and you know I'm I'm hoping that that is our testing ground that kind of six months that August September October November December so that we go you know what that really worked or it didn't we need to change we need to to do something else but come January of 2022 my hope is that I don't get a day off until you're 3000. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that. And I think I'd like your opinion on this. And I think that a lot of these corporate events, not primarily the corporate events are going to be a hybrid product. So where you've had a 3000 to 4000 person event in the past, it's, it's going to be a 2000 person event with, with a virtual side to it. So not everybody is traveling. Do you, do you think that's a correct assumption or do you think that we're just, maybe we're going to have smaller meetings and more of them? Uh, How do you, how do you see that going? Um, I think that's really going to depend on what the company is and at what level their executives and or speakers are and what kind of risk those individuals are willing to take. So I believe you are correct in assuming that we're going to see quite a bit of hybrid because um, just by the nature of it, if you look currently what is allowed in, you know, San Francisco, for instance, if somebody's singing or if there's wind instruments or brass instruments or anything like that, you know, person to person distance, 24 feet and da da da, it, you'd have to have a huge stage to be able to accommodate multiple people. Or you, you know, you have them on a dais and you have the plexi dividers in between, but nobody likes that look. So it, I think you're right. We're, we're still going to be doing a, a lot of hybrid stuff. I was happy to see that in Los Angeles, Appendix J, you can now have attendee or, or uh, let's call it audience of 50 people as long as they are employed. 
again, this all has to go back to workers' comp coverage and the contact tracing. And so you can't just invite an audience. It still has to be employees or people that are under payroll. Right. Have you seen any technology contact tracing event-based apps or anything that, that uh, like looking at your shows in the fall, has that been kind of brought up? What are we going to do and, and what are we going to use to do it? I, I feel that the tech industry started a little bit on that and I've seen a couple of apps. It's all very tedious still because people have to sign up and provide the same information over and over again in different locations. You have the testing app and some of the testing apps have a really, really good scheduling system on the front end to get everybody in and get everybody tested, but therefore the reporting structure on the back end sucks or it's vice versa. I have yet to see one company that has both in a great system where you can you know, use it to track everybody's testing. Then when it comes to the contact tracing on our sites, we've been using a Google form with a spreadsheet attached to it. And we literally go to the spreadsheet as we're checking everybody in in the morning. And if their temp check is clear, it gets marked. We also put a timestamp on everybody as to what time they entered the facility. Because if there is a positive that comes up from the densest place where the most people were together, which is usually check-in, I have to be able to contact trace forward and backwards 10 minutes right right now. Mm -hmm. So I have to be able to go in and, and highlight that XYZ came in at 1132 AM and these people came in within the 10 minute span before and these people came within the 10 minute span behind. Andrew, it's time for my unsolicited shout out today. Seeing as we're talking to a guest in California, I'm going to keep my shout out on the West Coast. George's at the Cove in La Jolla, California has been a mainstay for years. I tell you, I could live on the rooftop patio for the rest of my life if I could, except for maybe the rainy days. My trips to the San Diego area wouldn't be complete without a lunch on the third floor basking in the sunshine while sipping my Bloody Mary and waiting on my chicken soup and ahi salad. Can you say, taste like another? George's is located at 1250 Prospect Street overlooking the La Jolla Cliffs. La Jolla itself is one of the most beautiful towns anywhere in North America. On a selfish note, it's also home to the grand dame of our family, Betty Douglas. After lunch, head 10 minutes south to Bird Rock and stop in at the Bird Rock Coffee Roasters for the best coffee I've had in the U.S. I can't wait to get back there. Let me know if you make it. Cheers! I originally started this uh, with Andrew to do like half-hour little blurbs on this. And so far we're two for two that we're 45 minutes to an hour because there's so much information that you know, people, A, want to talk about and other people want to hear. So yeah, I, I would give anything right now to be drawing climber rigs and, you know, 
have yeah. Andrew mess up a project file for me. Which he seems to be really good at. <laughs> it's it's a pastime. It really is. I, I enjoy it. I, I had to open Vectorworks the other day, and I think I sat in front of a blank document for like five minutes going, what the hell am I doing? Where's the line? How do I make a line again? Exactly. We can flip on I the tutorial. For As a side project, I took about six drawings of previous shows and made them covid friendly and it it was it was quite it was depressing but i did feel like i was doing something constructive like if somebody actually picked up the phone and called and said hey we're gonna do this i could turn around and say great i'm ready we've already got it set up for you I'm I'm surprised you haven't gone and and done a WYSIWYG drawing of the mountain you ski at every day, <laughs> including the chairlifts going up. Yes, and Maddox waving over the back of the chair. The yeah, uh, yeah the, the roughest time we're having right now is is people are um, is with the testing because yeah. people, the medical industry and and medical field of profession, they don't really care about our world. They don't care about our false sense of entitlements. They don't care about our ridiculous timelines. They don't care. They don't have to. And we're just sometimes having a really hard time getting the clients to understand that, no, we said we were testing from this hour to this hour. I can't keep this machine here for another three, four hours because I'm going to get billed for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the... Uh, all of the medical professionals that have, have bought into these different rapid machines and stuff, the contracts are insane. So they don't sell you the testing machine. They sell you the testing materials and you get the machine. But you are obligated to buy a certain amount of tests within a limited time period. And so even if you don't go through the, all those tests, you still have to pay for those tests at the end of your time period. They don't care. And the other thing that they're doing is like, you want this machine for, for COVID-19 testing? That's great. So we're gonna give you 900 COVID-19 tests, and then we're gonna give you another 300 influenza tests. What you do with those, we don't care, but you're gonna buy it. <laughs> I'll test my cat. So there's, and, and the government really didn't help, and I'm not going political here, but nope. you know, they, they bought up a, different, a couple of different types of, of manufacturers' inventories for COVID-19 testing, and it allowed others to almost create a monopoly for a while. Yeah, I am living in Canada. If, if you want to talk about screwed up deployment of vaccines, I'd be glad to uh, send you down all the paper that we have flying around from the political end. Yeah, I'm really happy right now because at least with the work that we're doing at EIR, if nothing else, I'm able to get my on-site people vaccinated if they want it. Great. Which I think yeah, is huge. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm still um, working on my mom, who's 85, up here, yeah. and this is where we are. And I, I, I look at your your rates down there right now. I think are 1.7 million. You're basically to do the entire population of Canada in 30 days, and we yeah, have, it's... you know, we we're looking at maybe getting half of our people done by August. 
it's like, huh? Yikes. Yeah, it's just, and I, I'm I'm all for it. Um, if if people want to get vaccinated, um, the only thing that disturbs me about it here in the U.S. is that a lot of people, due to the lack of structure in our healthcare system, don't have a primary physician. Some of them may not even know that they have pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. So I have a problem with sending these people somewhere in their car handing them a one sheet to read and acknowledge and then sticking them in the arm with a needle because I just think it's, it's dangerous and people need to um, be a little bit more educated about what they're getting into. You know, what, what is an, an MRNA versus a traditional shed cell vaccine? What's the difference? What does it do? Where does it go? How does it help? Um, what side effects could it potentially have? And I'm not hearing a lot about it and I'm not seeing a lot about it, but I think everybody, it's not that whole thing of, I'm not going to get the vaccine. That's not the case. I'm, I'm not against the vaccine. I'm not for the vaccine. This is not about opinion. It's about educating yourself about what you are doing. Yeah, because I think people are, whether you're for it or against it, the people who are for it are just walking in and getting a shot of whatever because somebody said this works, you know, over the last 10 months they came up with it. I listened to a doctor the other day, which was pretty interesting in the development of vaccines right now compared to at the beginning where they're saying, oh, this could take three years or four years before we actually have a working vaccine. And the doctor who came on to this show, uh, not not our show, but uh, the show I was watching, he said that the speed of development of vaccine and the technology that they have now from what, when pre- previously that vaccines were taking that long, it, the difference is like, like a PC in 75 versus 2020. It's like their equipment, uh, the way they can test, they don't need as much time. And uh, so we've got to kind of believe that. I know I'm, I'm personally, my hands up, give me the shot. I, you know, I want to, you know, there's a mitigated risk involved in that, but I think there's probably a bigger risk in not getting it. But again, I, I can't, speak to people who want it or don't want it. It's a, it's a good, safe place to back off. Absolutely. uh, And, you know, everybody has to make that decision for themselves. What I'm seeing as a potential issue coming down the pipeline is whenever restrictions are placed upon people who don't want to be vaccinated. Right. Because in essence, that's blackmail, you know? I think it's great that these vaccines exist. Um, I, I know that, you know, we have the true trusted and tried like we had for polio and mumps and measles and chicken pox and God knows what else all out there. And then you have the new technology, which by the way, they've been working on since the 1990s because it was originally being developed. The technology was being developed for rabies, influenza, Zitka, Ebola, and one more disease that I cannot and will not attempt to pronounce. You read that at like 2 a.m. <laughs> in your book. 
<laughs> I probably was closer to midnight. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious by nature. So I go looking for this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, hey, what is this? Hey, how does it work? Hey, why is it all of a sudden okay now, but we haven't heard squat about it for the last 20 years? Well, thank God for people like you, Sin, because when I, in the evening, I'm looking for the score of the game. <laughs> Whatever the Leafs doing in the third period. <laughs> and straight back to hockey. Yeah, and straight back. Look, well, I, you know I, I, when, it, when it comes to hockey, I know that there's a stick, a puck, and a net. <laughs> and a beer. And I know there's two teams. And I know they fight a lot. <laughs> so all of your bedtime reading... All of all of the certificates that you've taken, all of the experience that you, you you've had with EIR and uh, testing, and all the doctors that you've you've spoken to. Bold prediction. Give me one bold prediction for the next year. The Leafs will win the cup. <laughs> Sorry, were you speaking to me? Oh, it's very sad. I'm sorry. I didn't realize we were still on hockey. <laughs> my, my, my mic's not muted again. <laughs> I, I think we're going to see more and more production work. I, I think that we're headed in the right direction. It's just going to be baby steps for right now. Interestingly enough, there's a couple of, of organizations out there that are interested in holding in-person meetings and presentations of the scholastic and and science community is is big on it so i'm i'm working on an rfp right now for something that could potentially take place this fall with 3000 attendees coming from as far as 58 different countries because that's where all the members are wow and well if this podcast is not a business in the fall <laughs> i want you to come back and tell us how that went. I just, I find it, you know, I find it encouraging that these RFPs are out there and that people are at least thinking about it and, and entertaining it. The show that I'm, you know, doing the pre-production on right now is for 1,200 people. Now, three weeks ago, I was like, yeah, let me push that to the side because it's not going to happen anyways. And, and, you know, now I'm looking at it going, huh, this could really happen. We could actually be doing this. We could be back at our favorite bar at the win in September, Andrew. You know, I'll just make sure that I don't have a flight to Barcelona the next morning. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the one time we put you on a flight at five o'clock in the morning with a compromised immune system due to what was consumed at the bar. Uh, well, doesn't, uh, doesn't that sound like a great place to wind this up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. Do you want to do the uh, a shout out, Andrew? Do you want to talk to Sin about what she's got to do for this shout out? Sure, Sin. Well, uh, what we like to do during this program is we like to ask uh, each of our guests to give a shout out to a bar or restaurant or a, a, a spot that they love anywhere in North America uh, just to, it's a it's a free shout out nobody's being nobody's going to be compensated for it but just uh, just somewhere that uh, that you love to visit when you're traveling 
Well, I think you're right there with me if I say the Rustic House Oyster Bar and Grill in San Carlos, being that we have spent a many a evening there and we want people to support these smaller local restaurants because only by people doing that are they still going to be around <laughs> when we return back in that direction. Because <laughs> who wants to go down the road and find these places closed? Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, a lobster two, roll. Yep, lobster roll and a Tito's and tonic sounds just about right. Well, for anybody heading down that direction, the website for the Rustic House Oyster. What is it? The see, I haven't had the privilege of joining you guys down there, so uh, I'm just looking at a sheet of paper which I wrote really quickly. Yeah, so. it's the Rustic House Oyster Bar and Grill in San Carlos. What she said. <laughs> and, and that will appear on, on our comment section of this episode. So I think, Sin, you have dumped so much information. Uh, the knowledge that you have in this industry is incredible. And uh, I know Andrew and I want to thank you so much for spending your time not out on your horse or ATV or whatever you do out there, but to, to the generosity of your time for this afternoon is uh, much appreciated. Gladly done. And um, I just, you know, I want to say everybody stay safe as much as we can stay safe or stay risk mitigated, take <laughs> care of yourselves. I really want us to all come back. Um, I would love to trade the COVID temp check cues for a climber rig and maybe some audio, a couple of motors here and there. We'll get there. It's going to go slow, but uh, we'll get back. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to seeing you again soon in person and uh, perhaps at, uh, at the Rustic House, uh, perhaps somewhere else. Absolutely. We'll get there one way or another. Thank you so much, Sin. Thank you guys so much. It was so good to see you guys. It really is. I, I miss I miss all of our road family. I think everybody is. Everybody's wants to see a, an audience. They want to see people backstage. It's just they want to see some haze in the room. It's just the whole thing is missing. Yeah. Yeah. Great having yeah, you. I think we're missing those diesel fumes from the generators. We're missing the the beeping of the scissor lifts that nobody turns off at break. We're missing the forklifts going backwards, but uh, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Thanks you guys very have much, a Sin. Great afternoon. You too. Thank you, Sin. Thank you. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Okay, Andrew, that was incredible. She is such a smart gal. That's for sure. It was so great to have Sin on, and and uh, you know what most people don't realize is that we have the privilege of of uh, a side Zoom. So seeing Sin's face smiling at us uh, uh, for the first time in a while is, is fantastic. Well, I obviously haven't worked with her the way you have worked with her the many times that you have, have been with her on site. I've done it twice, and both of those were, were with you under your direction. Uh, <laughs> and like watching her work and the amount of stuff that, you know, her, she deserved her own trailer. <laughs> I believe that was, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just whenever anybody said anything, it was, oh, ask Sin, ask Sin, go ask Sin. Right. And it's like, okay, I wish my name was Sin. And people pay attention to me sometimes, but no, she, she's a great gal. So 
great to have her on. And that that sounds like it's a wrap for you and I too, doesn't it? It it is. It was a fantastic conversation. Sorry for the dead air there. I uh, I, I my brain must have stuttered for a moment. Uh, no, it was fantastic uh, having Sin on and very informative. I'm sorry that we didn't have more time because she she obviously has a lot more squared away there. Well, we, we there's no no chance or no chance. There's there's no reason why we couldn't invite her back again at another time. You know, and I'd love to hear down the road how those shows are progressing. I Absolutely, think, I think Absolutely. a lot of the people. Uh, I don't know. It was our one listener from the shoe department who accidentally tuned this this uh, podcast on. <laughs> I think there's also, uh, you know, one of the things that we didn't really touch on was was the whole liability thing and insurance thing. And and I know that that Sin has been navigating a lot of that. And I, I think if we do bring her back on, that's something that she could probably fill us in on as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, like we did chat about before, we, we're hopefully going to get a, somebody from that industry to join us for. Right. That, again, will be a, a short meeting because it will just be, no, you can't. We don't cover that. <laughs> That's right. So, but meeting adjourned. Meeting adjourned. Thank you very much. Just give us your shout out and get a hell off our tutor show. So, uh, okay. Uh, thanks very much, Andrew. And uh, we will uh, talk soon. We will we'll, uh, we'll get our next guest all lined up and... Then we'll have three. Who knew? Sounds like fun. I'm looking forward to it. Ciao, man. See ya. Well, Andrew, again, I'd say that's a wrap. We want to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their experiences. We would also really like to thank you, the listener, for your time and support of this podcast. And don't forget that we're all in it together. So help out where you can and support everyone going through tough times right now. We hope to see everybody back on the road soon. See you later.